But I do think honestly, like using your performance reviews to ask for a pay rise or what the road to a pay rise looks like is a very good idea. And you really need to be focusing, this is back from the HR days, on three things. Welcome to Try Babies, the podcast where we're not afraid to be seen trying and crying. You're joined by Sunroom co-founders Michelle Battersby, that's me, and Lucy Mort. That's me. We help build the world's largest dating apps, Bumble and Hinge. Now we're in the thick of building our own tech company and we're bringing you along for the wild ride. Each week you'll hear from us as we fill you in on the good, the bad and the ugly when it comes to business, career, relationships and everything in between. We'll tackle burning audience questions and be joined by inspiring creators, female business leaders and the people who have motivated and energised us along the way. These won't be your typical shiny business stories. We want to showcase the experiences that go unsaid and definitely chat about the moments that don't make it onto Instagram. Prepare to hear about the lows, the failures, the doubt and the downright nightmare days. Navigating life through your 20s and 30s can be hard, which is why we're so passionate about creating a space for you to come to on the days you need to feel seen, inspired, educated, supported, and sometimes shocked into action. This is honestly the podcast we both needed throughout our journeys. Today, we speak about how to be an entrepreneur. That is someone who is dominating their workplace, expanding their skill set, and constantly striving for more. This is a valuable episode, whether you're an employee, a team leader, or an employer. Let's get into it. Lucy, mm-hmm. welcome back to the show. <laughs> it's great to be back. <laughs> okay, so this is our first founder normal app. We're not really talking about ourselves anymore. The story, everyone's got the gist. Yep. So now we can actually get stuck into hopefully providing people with a bit of value. <laughs> Let's see how we go. <laughs> yeah, TBC. We'll let the listeners decide. But we will start each of these regular episodes with asking each other the question, what are you currently crying about? <laughs> so, Lucy, what is your current cry? Uh, I mean, my my actual cry, like tears being shed. <laughs> you cry, have you cried this week? Yeah. It's only Tuesday. When did you cry? I cried on Sunday. Okay. Um, and it was like relationship stuff. Okay. Yeah, my partner and I were like... Deep in the throes of like trying to figure out our future compatibility and I think it's like it's tough. But business-wise, I think my cry is our growth, which I might share with you. We've always grown and we have grown recently but like only a little bit the last two months and I think we're coming on our third month of like relatively flat growth and that's stressful when you're in a startup. Yeah. And so, yeah, not actual tears being shed but like stress tears, sweat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm sweating. What about you? What are you crying about? I'm also crying about our growth. I was having a deep think about this yesterday and I was like, I just feel tired. (laughs) I feel like it's been focusing on growing month on month for two years straight is really starting to take a toll on me. Mm -hmm. And I actually had to give myself this pep talk like, maybe the founders that survive are the ones who can just get through this. Yeah. The ones that can just keep trying and get through the exhaustion and the relentlessness of that and the defeat that you feel. And I think for me, just like this constant 
talking to creators and pitching creators. Like for two years I've just been trying to win people every day. Mm. Like I, I go and run a race every yeah. single day and try to win. It's relentless. Yeah, it's just really actually started to get me down a bit. Like I, I have an eye twitch that's developed today. <laughs> I'd love it to come on the camera. I don't know if it will. But I just looked at it in the bathroom mirror. It's wow. like there's that twitch that I get. But I think I have yesterday just come to this realisation that it's really important to take a step back and keep reminding yourself of the bigger picture and like why you chose to do this and what's in it for not just you, your team, everyone that actually is using this product and try to really hold on to the fact that, you know, there's a creator that's made $250,000. There's people still coming to us saying, I want this. Mm. And so I'm I'm really just trying to focus on that right now. Like I, I think about the hypothetical in my head where I'm like, if our creators suddenly didn't have our product, yeah. would they be upset? And I think like a decent chunk of them would be. And that's what gets me through. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel that as well. Like we can't let them down. Right. So we have to keep going. Yeah. Because these women and non-binary creators can't we can't go and tell people that they're about to lose making 30 grand a month. Yeah. Fuck no. <laughs> that can't happen. So there's no alternative here. <laughs> it's, it must be done. We forge on. <laughs> yeah. But it's also really scary to even speak about this because it's like is someone listening that might think, ooh, that app could stop. I'm not going to commit to it. But this is exactly like if we're thinking about prospective investors listening to this, this is exactly why they carry on about grit the whole time. And I finally yeah. get it. I'm like, <laughs> they carry oh. on. <laughs> this, like, this is the moment where our grittiness is being tested. Yeah. yeah. This is a moment where, like, you can't give up. Yeah. And actually, just like a, a little nice comment in here one of our existing investors wanted to reinvest a couple of months ago. And her words were, I'm just really impressed by how you keep showing up. And your resilience with this. Mm, that's like, nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> okay. So we're both crying about the same thing. <laughs> All right. So let's get into the episode. We are going to talk today about standing out within a workplace. And I guess being an intrapreneur, there's a lot of focus on being an entrepreneur and doing your own thing. But I also think there's so much power in just fucking dominating internally mm. within an organization mm -hmm. and like loving loving what you're working on loving the people that you're working with and being really passionate about the job yeah do you feel like you've been an entrepreneur uh at times yes yeah okay. I think at hinge I had some entrepreneur vibes what um, were you emulating as an as an entrepreneur like what did that look like for the people around you I don't think I necessarily had a model, but I think just inherently uh, I like control and ownership. <laughs> <laughs> um, so being a, actually a Dropbox, they call it a, a one man slash woman CEO and they try and get their employees to be like little mini CEOs. And I feel like I kind of was that early on with design at Hinge. And I think that just looked like doing a lot of the grunt work and a lot, like a lot of the work myself, just like taking on everything, but also like being involved in everything, being involved in user research, being involved in like the questions we were, our product manager was asking our data, 
really like deeply caring and and giving a shit. And like, honestly, like attaching my identity to the role and design at Hinge. Yeah. I would say that's definitely like something that comes to my mind. If you are an entrepreneur, it's like, there is no task too big or small for you. Mm. Like you will take anything on and that could be pretty unglamorous tasks as well. I'm trying to think of examples, my own examples, but it's like you're you're just willing to wear many hats. Yeah. I mean, with with my role, like one of the most unglamorous parts of the job was like going through and testing the test builds that would come out before you'd release um, a version to production and painstakingly comparing what the engineers had done with my designs and mocking up every little thing that was incorrect, which would take a really long time. Like wasn't fun, but like the end result was that the hinge product was like immaculate and perfect. Yeah. And I needed it to be that way because I didn't want to attach my name to something sloppy and everybody knew that it was like me leading this thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What else is entrepreneur vibes? I think having initiative and sort of like thinking like a business owner and really like having a slightly higher level, yes, you're operating in the weeds, but being able to like eject and have a higher level view of the business and like think what does the business need most? And sort of like try and get a step ahead because like the person you're working for, the founder, your manager or whatever, that's what they're worried about. Yeah. So like I think if you can also try and like understand what they're worried about and like yeah. what they're trying to solve. Yeah. It's definitely going outside of your job scope. Mm. Like you are always willing to take on other projects and solve problems that you see popping up around you. Like I think these are the people that they're thinking about their work outside of work, you know, like every conversation is kind of an opportunity to potentially solve a problem that they're dealing with in their Mm. day to day. Mm -hmm. And I think that ties, comes back to what you said about it becoming a part of your identity. Mm -hmm. You like live and breathe it. Yeah. Entrepreneurs are evangelists Mm. for the brand. Like, like genuinely love it so much, they will talk about the brand or the mission or what's being built while they're out and about with their families. They'll speak about whatever they're working on with, with pride. Yeah. Do you think that entrepreneurs are probably just ambitious people? <laughs> probably, yeah. I don't, I, I mean, I don't think you can care that, can you care that much without being ambitious? I don't think so. Because I think that is what it ultimately comes down to is like you really give a shit about this Mm -hmm. and like you really give a shit about your performance. Mm -hmm. Do you think ambition can be learned? No, I truly don't. I tie ambition, it's like what does ambition, what's the output that it produces, you know, which is like someone's work Mm. and like, yeah, literally ambition turns into output, right, which can look like someone working hard. Mm. And I don't think you can teach someone how to work hard. Mm -hmm. You can teach someone many skills. Someone could have all the skills in in their little tool belt, you know, but if they're not a hard worker, that doesn't really matter. Yeah. Entrepreneurs probably also have a desire for recognition and public recognition, which I think is also tied into ambition. Mm. Like you have this innate desire to be seen as valuable or to prove yourself as valuable. 
great. Yeah, like the chip <laughs> on the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could probably do a whole separate podcast on, like, the origins of that. And I'm yeah. actually not a psychologist, so I can't really fully speak to it. But Yeah. Yeah, I do think, yeah, it kind of comes back to your values, I suppose. Like, I would say we're both ambitious people, care a lot about the work that we put out there and our self-worth is tied heavily to that the work that we do, mm-hmm. which may or may not be a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it works right now. So. Right. But, like, people, people have all sorts of different um, variations of self-worth mm-hmm. and I think some people tie it to work and what they're producing. Some people tie it to their relationships and how they're, like, bonding with other people in their friend group. Some people tie it to their, like, creative pursuits and, you know, what they can generate musically or artistically. Mm. And I think it's important to have some sort of source of self-worth unless you're one of those people that can, like, truly just find it within. And maybe Mm. that's the end goal. Mm. (laughs) Uh, We will see. Time time will tell. Okay, so showing, so actually standing out within the workplace – I view it as something that's pretty easy to do. Like I think it is pretty easy to do little things that make you stand out within an organisation if you want to. And I honestly think there are just some basic one-liners people could be using that give star employee. Yeah. And like it's as simple as when you finish work at the end of the day, it's like you don't just get up and leave your desk. You say, hey, I'm going to head off soon. Is there anything else I could do today? Is there anything you need a hand with? Yeah. That shows I care and I'm like willing to do the extras. Yeah. But I think there are some people that don't want you to say yeah. Right. (laughs) So they'll never ask that question. And this probably is not for you because I think that comes back to what can't be taught. Like you need to care. Right. And you need to want to work hard. Because those people that ask that question, they're genuinely willing to like sit down and stay another hour if there was something very yes. pressing. Yes. Or they're the people that say, hey, I heard you having a conversation about this. That's something I'm really interested in. Could I get involved? Mm. Do you need help with that project? I've actually started thinking about that too. Here's some little ideas I had. Yeah. I think an extremely (laughs) simple one-liner that everybody should use in their one-on-ones with their manager is what feedback do you have for me? Or like... What could I be doing better? Yeah, what could I be doing better? What's one thing I can do to make your life easier? Mm, Yeah. It just just shows that you want to be better. It shows that you're humble. You're almost a student. Like I am still learning. I know I'm not at the top of my game, but I want to get there. Or, hey, I don't feel like I'm at capacity. Mm. Is there something I could help you with? Yeah. yeah. I want to be doing more. It really bothers me when I'm not at capacity. (laughs) What else could I be doing? Right. I think these are things that I learnt when I first entered the workforce and I went into a really highly professional, highly structured environment that was an investment bank and I watched how everyone around me showed up and I listened when other people were given feedback and I applied that feedback to myself. Mm. Like, hey, do I do that? Should I be doing that? And I have started to wonder, and a little bit of a segue here, if 
the people that entered the workforce during COVID, this is like a critical learning curve that they weren't exposed to. Like they didn't get to come into these established environments with thriving cultures and people showing you how you show up in a professional environment and learn these little things, Mm. which I think is a huge disadvantage because they entered the workplace and came straight into a work-from-home situation, which is pretty limited in terms of what, what you gain exposure to in that sense and then have adopted habits and behaviours that are kind of restrictive in terms of, I guess, just learning how to show up in a professional environment and learning how to, how to shine like this and interact with people. Right. But also if you think about it, when you're working from home, in many ways you're quite siloed. Like you're not really exposed to what other people are doing and other people's performance and other people's like level of operating. And so I think when I think about my experience, particularly at Hinge, but also other workplaces that was like fully in person, it was also about like seeing how top performers performed. Yeah. Literally seeing how they would interact with my manager and then me being like, okay, I want to try and emulate that. Yeah. But if you're a hundred percent remote, you're not seeing that. Those conversations are happening in DMs. Yeah. So you're not even aware of like where, you know, (laughs) seriously, (laughs) where you stack rank compared to to other people and like how you're doing relatively. Or to your point, to be able to see someone and think, oh, I want to be like that. Mm. What did their career path look like? Even thinking they seem like a boss. Right. How how do I be like that? Like, I love that energy. They're always pulled into meetings. People go to them Mm -hmm. for their ideas on things. Like the way they speak in meetings is really empowering, inspiring. Yeah. And they've gained no no exposure to that and they might not even know that they should be asking to gain exposure to that. But I also don't know if, especially for companies like ours that are a startup and we're kind of, it's a scramble every single day. I wonder if organisations are thinking about how do we actually catch this group of people up? Like now that we're starting to bring people into the office, are there literally like programs being (laughs) developed to teach these people, hey, you actually entered the workforce at a very unique time where no one really even knew what they were doing and you've kind of missed getting exposure to all these kinds of things. We almost need to do like a refresher, a, a replay and say, hey, these are actually the standards of work here. Yeah. And here is how you might behave within a within an office environment or here's someone who's been doing this for a long time look to them. Yeah. Oh, I know we've sort of joked that we should like probably do this in sunroom, but like I also struggle because I'm like is that so condescending? You know what I mean? It it feels like yeah, basic because it's kind of like basic human interaction. <laughs> Manners. Yeah, a, like a little bit, but but also like uh, you know professionalism and like standards of professionalism, mm. and like maybe we're just old farts, and maybe like things are changing. Mm. <laughs> but do manners change? <laughs> <laughs> no, they shouldn't. They, they should. Yeah, it's such a hard one because it has just like thrown, I think, employees and employers into this very bizarre state where now it's like the return to work mm. and so people are being asked to come in, come back into the office but they feel really hard done by mm. because they were given all this freedom from the outset 
And normally that kind of freedom is earned. Yeah. It's normally like, of course, everyone has like the right to request flexible work arrangements. And like, I think a hybrid workplace is amazing, but it's also the kind of thing that usually you prove, hey, I've, my output's great. I show up. I can be trusted. No worries. Go work from home. Yeah, totally. I saw a I saw a stat this morning. I'm in this subreddit called Overworked. <laughs> <laughs> no, Overwork, I think. And it's I'd a- love to see your list of subreddits. <laughs> <laughs> it is a fascinating one because it's people who have more than one job, more than one full-time job. And there's a whole subculture of these people and they have to do it remote and it's obviously covert and this sneaky thing that that they do so they can double their salary. But somebody in the subreddit this morning, I'm there, like I'm I'm not, I think I'm just Imagine if you had a second job. (laughs) I think I'm just fascinated by like how these people are doing this and they share tips and tricks and whatnot. Anyways, besides the point, they shared this stat this morning. The percentage of remote roles that are available is down from 19% to 11% over the last, I don't know, six months or maybe it was a year. That's a pretty big change in a short period of time. This community is kind of freaking out. They're like, are we going to be able to like keep up our, our lifestyle essentially? What are some of the tricks that they have for managing two roles at the same time? Um, Two different time zones. So they basically like do one job from like 7am to maybe 2pm and the other Mm. job from 2pm to like night. They're working all the time. Wow. Or it just has to be like low meeting culture companies Mm. or roles. Yeah. Sometimes they have to use like paid time off, sick leave and stuff if they have to travel for a role using like two different desk setups and two different monitors so they can like compartmentalize and like wow. move between the others. But they basically say like you can only do this if you're good at your job, mm, which yeah. totally makes to sense. To get away with it. To get away with it. To be able you, to you keep can't be performing. A lo- you can't be a low performer <clears throat> yeah. in one of these roles. You'd get let go. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, but but yeah, I feel like it's a good question around like what what can people do in workplaces to, I don't bring everybody else up to speed. Hmm. around like what's expected. Um, Mentors? Mm. I think assigning people mentors could be a a great one. Yeah. I also think just acknowledging that it's a unique way to start. I think it's like specifically for the people that started their professional journeys through COVID Mm. because leaving university and going into a workforce is a pretty big change. And it is a it is a learning curve and you are exposed to many different things and it is pretty unique to have not gone through that or to have gone through that in isolation. Mm. So even just acknowledging that and then acknowledging the fact that it will be a change again to kind of reverse this. I also think pitching people and pitching, I guess, our employees on their like growth prospects and their trajectory if they spend more time in person, especially as a junior employee. Yeah. Like you will be able to like rise up, get pay bumps, get promotions faster if you, because I think you just have a faster rate of learning yep. when you're in person. But also exposure across a company is so critical to getting promotions and pay rises mm-hmm. because you want other people to advocate for you. Like it's not a given. You should always be advocating for yourself. It's amazing if other people will advocate for you. But when it comes to the point of, giving pay rises and giving promotions, your manager is going to speak with other managers or their boss. And if you have been able to expose yourself to those people, that is a huge advantage. 
And it's very hard to do that if you are taking the option to keep working from home all the time. Mm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So salary rises and promotions. I think something that was like drilled into me at the very start of my career is like you are responsible for your own career. Like Mm. you have to be proactive and you have to drive those conversations forward. And when you go to a meeting with your manager, if it's to go through your KPIs or just your check-ins, like it's great for you to have an agenda to show that you've actually thought about this, come prepared with questions and show that you're really proactive. I think I see sometimes in people they think it's like the responsibility of their manager to kind of keep pulling them along. And sure, your your manager has their own responsibilities, but like no one's going to advocate for you as, as much as you can for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to pay rises, it's really important to think of the timing and the environment around asking for that kind of thing. Like I do think it is too soon if you've just joined a workplace and you're asking for a pay rise within the first six months, that's absolutely too soon. And it shows that you probably should have negotiated in a little bit mm-hmm. harder mm-hmm. because people are just going to be reluctant to give that to you. It's also to, important to think about, are you asking for a pay rise within cycle or out of cycle? Because so many big companies work within really strict cycles of when they can even consider giving this to someone. So like knowing when those cycles are and actually doing a bit of prep and making it known to your manager, hey, I am going to be asking for a pay rise when it comes to the review time and making your intentions known well ahead of time. Mm. What are some times where you've asked for a raise and like how did you go about it? Or have you ever? Yeah, I have. Um, I do think one of the best ways to increase your salary is to get another job, to be honest. The biggest pay rises I've ever had have been moving to another company and kind of knowing how to negotiate in, Mm. which I think is being really aware of like what output you've actually driven in in the prior workplace and being able to come with those stats. It's definitely being aware of market data and like it's it's honestly just using facts. Yeah. Um, and that's a great way to get a pay rise. The other way, I got a pretty significant pay rise. And I think if you are going to play this card, you have to be prepared for it to go either way, is to go and get another job offer that you don't necessarily want to take, mm. but then take it to your manager and say, hey, I've actually got this other offer on the table. It's for this much money. I'm happy to go either way, but like, I love it here. And I think I've done this, this, and this. And I think my, see my role expanding into this direction. Could you match this? Yeah. And I, I got it matched. Nice. But you have to be okay with taking that other, that other, that other offer. But I do think honestly, like using your performance reviews to ask for a pay rise or what the road to a pay rise looks like is a very good idea. And you really need to be focusing, this is back from the HR days, on three things, which is role, experience and output. Looking at those three things is all looking inwards. Sometimes people come to me and ask for advice and they're like, I know someone in my same role is being paid 20 grand more than me. That is not the right way to approach a pay rise. It sucks if you found that out and it can be hard to cope with, but you have got to remove all emotional Mm. attachment 
to this conversation and you have to look within yourself at these three things. What is my role and am I performing it? Am I outperforming it? Mm -hmm. Have I started taking on more and more? Is my job scope actually expanding? How much experience do I have? Because old mate with 20K more might have 10 years on you. So like just don't think about that. Yeah. Um, how much experience do I have? What experience have I brought from other jobs? And then what is my output? And that is just facts, facts, facts. Like yeah. I have driven X percent. I brought on this partnership. I developed this initiative within the organisation. Like show all the ways you add value and make it all about yourself And then, again, bringing market data into the conversation, especially if you think you are underpaid, is really important. So, like, if you're in Australia, you could go and look at Hayes or Hudson Mm. in the US. You look at them more than me. Yeah, I use PAVE, but you have to pay a subscription for it, but the data is very good. Yeah. Or, like, Built in LA, Built in New York has, like, pretty up-to-date salaries, particularly for tech. Yeah. What about some of the common responses or like pushbacks or knockbacks you will get from a manager if you're approaching them about a, a pay rise? I think most of the the knockbacks, I think the first thing to remember is like don't ask, don't get. So you literally have nothing to lose mm. in asking. All you need to do is be prepared, literally like follow these steps and be prepared. And the worst thing that can possibly happen is that they say no. But I think the main reasons why businesses would say no usually comes down to that like first point I raised, which is what is the timing of you bringing this up? And like, what is the current environment? Is the business cutting costs? Has there just been a huge restructure? Is it off cycle? So I think these are things that you need to consider and like really time these conversations correctly. But I think if it is a setback, normally it won't be a no forever. It'll be like a, we need to see more from you. Mm -hmm. So get really clear on like what you could be doing to get that, to get that pay rise. Like, okay, I hear you. Let's like write this down. I need to do this, this, and this. Can we have a check-in on this in one month, two months, and then follow up with your manager? Like, managers will be so focused on paper trails because they are covering their own backs. Mm. You can cover your back as well. Mm -hmm. So email them as soon as you have this meeting and say, hey, we spoke about this, this, and this. I heard that this isn't available to me right now, but it could be in this amount of time if I do this, this, and this, let's have a catch up in a month to see how I'm tracking. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) I would be so impressed if like one of our employees handled a situation like that. And that's also it. Like you are showing like I'm fucking on. Right. Like I am driving my own career forward. Mm -hmm. I have heard you. This is all about me. This isn't about other people. It's about my output. This is about the business. I'm going to keep tracking because I want this. Yeah. In the organizations that you've you've worked for, have there been like established salary bands? Because I think that's the other thing. And yeah. I think something that we're working out at Sunroom, like one of our advisors has recommended that we literally just pick 
one salary actually for each level yeah for the engineering team yeah and so that then there is like no negotiation there is no confusion over like where you're at or someone being paid more in the same role it's like everybody who's a mid-level engineer is on that yeah everybody who's a senior is on that definitely definitely bans related to the level that you are at I guess some people would be wanting to move maybe from like the bottom of a band to the top of a band or they'd be pushing for a promotion and a pay rise at the same time. Mm. So I think the same sorts of things can be applied. I have seen that sometimes in these big companies, the people that come in on grad programs actually do tend to be a little bit disadvantaged in the bigger picture Mm. because they come in at the lowest salary this company is willing to offer and then they have to keep working up and up and up and up. But someone will come in who's had the exact same amount of experience as them but they get to come straight in at a different level and they didn't have to do that grunt work. Mm. So I think if you have come in on a grad or internship program, maybe that's something to be a bit aware of. Like you should probably be bringing these conversations up at every moment because you're kind of like climbing all the way up if you aren't, if you, if you love the company and you aren't planning on leaving, like that is something to potentially bear in mind. Yeah. I just think like those conversations, they're such a good opportunity for feedback and for like just literally a check on how you're doing and like a a self-awareness check, I suppose. Yeah. Like having somebody say no to like a request for a pay rise, I would just go into overdrive of like, all right, like what is it? Like where am I falling short? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe if you are in a situation where you've been having this conversation and maybe you've had it now four times or something over two years and it hasn't happened, that is when I would probably start looking for other jobs Mm. and see what their offers are. Mm. And maybe you want to take it at that point, or maybe you can use it to like kick your company, current company into gear a little bit. Yeah. Because there are some companies out there that are just like stingy as hell and like won't budge on pay or like don't believe in being generous with pay rises. Mm. I don't think that is like the, the norm. The norm. Yeah. But I do like hear stories of like very frustrated employees out there who, you know, have been working for years. But also like if it's been years and you haven't received a pay rise, like you also should be looking at your own performance. Yeah. I I agree with that. And I think that's such a good point. Like from an employer perspective, we would always want to like listen to our employees and make sure they feel appreciated, Mm. valued. Yeah. Like we always try to do what we can. Yeah, definitely. Like we want to be, (laughs) we want this to feel great for them and great for us, Yeah, you know? Yeah, we want to reward effort and, and impact. Yeah. And like, frankly, the people in an organization who are the most impactful and put in the most effort, like we're incentivized to keep them. Yeah. So like, yeah, we're yeah. going to make sure that they're really well looked after. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're kicking off our try or cry segment. And a question that we've had come in is how do I handle a problem employee slash someone in the team who is a personality clash. I think this is a separate one or leading someone who doesn't want to grow. 
So I guess we don't try to unpack this. So how do mm. I handle a problem employee slash someone who is a personality clash? Uh, I mean, I think if you're managing that person, it's probably a couple of questions you need to answer. Like how long has the clash been going on for and like it, how many people is it impacting? Mm. Um, is it sort of making the lives of everybody else in the team difficult or is it just my life? Because if it was just me and if it was just this one-on-one personality clash, but they were getting along fine with everybody else, I think I would have to do some inner work to figure out like why am I struggling with this this person? I think that's a good starting point. And also has this problem, like problem employees are pretty big label. <laughs> has this person been given feedback? Like how problematic is is their behavior? Mm. Yeah. How widespread is it? Is it impacting the whole culture? And their openness to feedback, I think, because I think there are some personality traits where you could like try and and gently give somebody feedback on them, but they're so stuck in their ways or they're so driven by their ego that like there is no way that you're going to see like meaningful change there. But some people are really receptive and probably don't even realize that, you know, some of the things that they're doing are really grating or difficult to work with. Yeah. And also is this person having complaints put Mm. in against them? Because that's actually pretty serious and something that has to be Mm. addressed. Mm -hmm. But part two of this question, leading somebody who doesn't want to grow, Mm. like my first response to that was like, they have to go. Yeah, fire them. (laughs) Literally, goodbye. (laughs) But I do think there are some organizations where like you don't need to have a growth mindset. You can just like clock in, clock off, do your thing every day. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, but you have to be at a certain level to be like that, right? mm. Like you still have to be doing simply what's expected of you well. Right. And then you can clock in, clock out. Like you still have to be doing the job. Right. So I guess are they doing that? Yeah. Do they really need to do more? Mm. But in a startup, I think the expectations are different because there's sort of like a hope that everybody is going to grow and scale as the organization grows and scales from zero to to one. And so if you have people that like aren't keeping up with the train because they don't want to or they can't. Yeah, they'll be left behind. Yeah. Back at the station. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This person says, I'm in a team full of older men with 10 to 20 plus years of experience more than me. How do I show my skills and be taken seriously? Hmm. I see this as a good opportunity. Like you're in a team with people that have 10 to 20 years more experience than you. I would be a little bit of a goody two-foods, I think. And I would pick a couple maybe that I found approachable because I think that would be a bit intimidating. So I would pick the ones that are most approachable and I would try to really learn from them. Mm. Like, hey, could we go get coffee? I think the fact that you've done this, this and this is amazing. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? I I really want to learn from you. And I think that really helps to build relationships and like humanize these people because it can be pretty scary to be surrounded by a group of men that have a lot more experience than you. So I think just reminding yourself, 
like something I used to do in banking was remind myself that the person I was sitting across from was like someone's dad whose daughter probably pays them out when they go home. (laughs) And just remember that, you know, like don't let them scare you and try to find the human part of them that you can relate to. Like, do you have the same dog? Mm. Great bonding. Mm -hmm. You know, do you like the same restaurants? You will be able to find something that will start to break that relationship down and you will actually be able to talk to them about different things other than work. But I would try to just maybe buddy up with the more approachable ones and show that you're really keen and curious because then that person will most likely help create space for you mm-hmm. in a room that would be pretty intimidating. They'll probably really appreciate your energy as well. I think there are also some industries or organizations where your youth is an advantage. Like I think about if you work mm. in anything to do with advertising or content, anything to do, any sort of work where your like mindset and experience as a young person can literally inform like the marketing or the brand or a particular direction we might want to take things to like expand our market. Like I think youth in those situations can be like awesome or even in tech. Like I think about engineering organizations and I risk coming across as ageist here, but um, younger engineers often have an advantage because they are the first to like go and learn and adopt new technologies. And like the people that have been in the industry for 10 or 20 years, like they're honestly tired of learning. So your like willingness and ability to like learn things quickly yeah. and like have a finger on the pulse of like what's new and like in You're- terms of process and stuff will help. Yeah, you're bringing different things to the table. Yeah. So, like, remind yourself of, I guess, that freshness or different perspective that you bring because that is valuable. hmm Cool. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. A quick ask if you enjoyed listening, it would mean the world if you could jump on Spotify or Apple and review the podcast. Five stars only, please. We need to build that army so we can read what you loved and what you want to hear more of. We're so grateful to have such an incredible community of empowered, motivated and confident women supporting each other here to go after their dreams. That's what we've needed most throughout our journey. You can subscribe so you don't miss our episodes or head over to our Try Babies podcast Facebook group and Try Babies Insta where we can connect with you more and ask us questions that you want answered in the show. See you on the next episode of Try Babies.